What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the From Downtown Podcast. I am your host, Dahani Joseph, and today we have the instant reactions to the Celtics Sixers opening night game as well as the Lakers Warriors opening night game. Now, these two games were highly anticipated. We all understood that the Lakers, they have something to prove this year. LeBron going to his 20th season. Anthony Davis coming off an injury. Is he still a top 10 player? Will he ever become a top 10 player again with all the talent in the league? Will Westbrook be traded? Will he come off the bench? Will he start? Is he still that dude? Or is he going to be a laughing stock in the league and essentially exile out the league if he has one more bad season? So much riding on the line for Westbrook. The Golden State Warriors coming off a championship. They're getting their championship rings tonight. We all understand they're probably going to be a favorite to repeat as champions again. They have the squad. They have Gold. I mean, they have Draymond Green. They have Seth Curry, Clay Thompson, all the guys, all the necessary parts that you need to win a championship. They're loaded. It's going to be a fun night in the West. In the East, we have the reigning Eastern Conference Finals champions, Boston Celtics. They're coming back with a vengeance. They are men on a mission. They understand what it takes to get to the finals. They truly understand what it takes to win the finals. They are going to need to pace themselves. They're going to have to limit turnovers. Defensively, they'll be as stout as ever with some new acquisitions such as Malcolm Brogdon into the fold. Philadelphia, new look backcourt, excuse me, not backcourt, bench, new lineups, a bunch of stuff. You can say new look backcourt as well with Tyrese Massey, his improvement. James Harden looks like a new dude. He's in shape. Big things happening for Philadelphia. The games were great, and you are going to get my instant reactions coming up right now. All right, so we're tuning in just minutes before, a minute before the end of the Philly-Boston game. Boston looking like they're going to take this one pretty easily. Final score, 126-117, just wrapped up just now. And Boston is looking as good as advertised. It, It looks like they haven't missed a beat from their finals appearance last year. Not even last year, a few months ago. They look like the same well-oiled team, a little bit more polished. I've seen less turnovers. They they were struggling a little bit with turnovers in the first half, but I'll have to double-check. I think they ended with, what, eight, maybe nine turnovers? If they're on double digits, that's a hell of a team to stop because when they aren't beating themselves, there's only a few teams that are going to actually beat them because when they turn over the ball and they get frustrated, things get sloppy, that's when the great teams, like the Golden State Warriors, they will capitalize on those mistakes. Talk about the lack of size. I think that was pretty apparent. Rob Williams is sidelined with the knee injury. 
he's looking like he's going to be back towards the second half-ish of the season, give or take. So Al Horford's going to have to hold down the four. He got into foul trouble, I think, of the game with five fouls on the evening. So we saw Noah Vonley, who was out of the league, playing overseas for the last season. And when he did play in the NBA, he only played for, what, about four months-ish. So it's been a minute since he's played in the NBA, but he was actually playing solid minutes against Joel Embiid, who he's going to get his. He didn't have the greatest night offensively. That's just due to the Celtics swarming defense style, making him not be able to take the ball into the post and just destroy anybody who's in his way. But Noah Vonley, he was solid. Um, Blake Griffin, he came in the game, got some offensive rebounds. The crowd loves him. I think he's going to be a fan favorite of the Celtics, despite him being on that Brooklyn team that they swept. I think that this team is going to love having Blake Griffin. Led the league in charges last season, despite playing limited minutes and not playing as many games. I think he missed about 20 or so games last year. So that's pretty remarkable when you consider all the players that, like Marcus Smart on the Celtics, who have taken charges. He led the league in charges last year. So that's something impressive, and I'm sure the Boston faithful are going to absolutely love that type of hustle, that type of energy and effort off the bench. He might not play more than, what, 15 minutes, maybe 20, just because of how how thin that front court is without Rob Williams. But he's going to be an essential part, Blake Griffin, of whatever aspirations the Celtics team has, and that's going for a championship. I've always been of the mindset that the Celtics just need one more big. Like he's got a true seven footer out there who can who can rebound, who can move in space. I know before they had like Tristan Thompson before and the it's it, it's tough. They could probably do a trader, so I was of the mindset they can trade Peyton Pritchard in the off season, maybe try to find a, a backup big. Especially with Rob Williams being out, I thought it would be paramount. For them to get a backup big, but so far, and in a matchup where you would think they would need some more size going up against Joel Embiid, they did a pretty good job of containing him. It was James Harden, who I'll get into in a moment, that really took over the game. He was able to get into the paint at time, get to the free throw line, but Joel, for his standards, relatively quiet night. Now, let's get into the Celtics defense, man. They were on another level. They were getting stops per usual, getting the steals, whether it be when MB gets into the post. They were sending doubles his way almost every time he touched the ball, which was an interesting strategy, and it worked almost every time, getting the ball out of MB's hands. Eventually, he was able to see the double teams coming and adjust. People were cutting back door, and that allowed for some scoring on his Phillies end. But for the most part, Boston was able to limit the effectiveness of Joel Embiid. We understand if he's isolated on the block or on the elbow, he's basically a bucket that 15-footer is as automatic as it comes. Just very few players in the league, maybe KD, Chris Paul, Kyrie. like Only a few players are that automatic. Kawhi Leonard as well from the mid-post area, from the 15-feet free throw line extended. Embiid is that special. And once he gets to the paint once he gets to the block he has so many moves a fadeaway he's just a mammoth of a man what 7-2 close to 280 what are you doing with that I don't know I wouldn't be able to stop it 
it's tough. And he's going to get to the line a lot this year. But, again, Joel Embiid, man, he's a MVP candidate. We all understand that. He's going to have one heck of a year again. James Harden, he was on another level. 35 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Prime James Harden numbers. Can we expect that for the entire season? That remains to be seen. If Philadelphia has any chance of competing in the Eastern Conference to get out of the East and to represent the conference in the NBA Finals, Harden's going to have to have nights like these on a pretty regular basis. He was getting to the line a lot, especially early on, I think. And then the first quarter, he went to the line for three separate three-point fouls, like three-point play fouls. <clears throat> Sorry. He was into the free throw line a lot, looking at a lot of the the MVP-type Harden. I think more accurately, it might be the Brooklyn Harden when he first got there. He was still scoring on high clip, but he was also facilitating, trying to make plays for his teammates, and that's exactly what he was doing. He probably could have had 11 or 12 assists. A lot of the players were missing. Tobias Harris started off strong, came off, came down towards the end of the game. A few of their other shooters weren't on like they usually are. Tyrese Maxey came on late, but... Man, if Harden plays like this at all-star, all-NBA level, Philadelphia's going to be a tough team to beat in the East. A lot of these teams are going to be tough teams to beat in the East. Boston, Philly, you have people like Miami who's always going to be in the mix. It's going to be a tough East Conference, tough West Conference too, but I'll get into that in the second part of this podcast when we get into the Lakers and the Warriors game. I'm happy that the Lakers, excuse me, not the Lakers, the Celtics, they touched down on that turnover issue because I'm a firm believer that if they did not have the issues with the turnovers last season, they would be NBA champions today. They would have been getting ranks tonight. But so far, it looks like it looks like they have remedied that issue. So that's a that's a positive. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, he looks like the exact type of player that the Celtics needed last year to win the championship. He was a presence that was a calming a calming force. He looked like a veteran. He was a dude that in that second unit, he commanded the attention of the defense. He was able to go out and score, which off the bench, it was usually going to be Peyton Pritchard at that guard spot. There's no shade to Peyton Pritchard at all, but Brogdon's a bigger dude at 6'4". He can defend. He can get to the basket and shoot with ease. He was knocking down threes. He was making plays in the second unit, which allowed Brown and Tatum to be fresh for the, the moments that they needed to be in the game. Brogdon ended the game with 16 points, 4 assists off the bench, 7 of 11 shooting, over 2 from 3, but we all know that'll change. They were playing a great brand of basketball, and I think that if Brogdon can continue that type of play with this bench unit, and mind you, you're going to have nights once Rob Williams gets back. You'll have nights with Derek White's also in that backcourt, so that's going to be improved guard play off the bench. One of the best benches in the league. Philadelphia has a pretty good bench. We'll get into that in a moment, but yeah, Brogdon off the bench, sixth man of the year candidate. I totally forgot to add that into my awards prediction. So let me get that on the record right now. Malcolm Brogdon is my sixth man of the year pick. Like, as we saw this last game, 
He was a floor general. He was able to galvanize the troops on that second unit, he was able to score at will. Like he was getting buckets super easily, one dribble blow by. Like there was no like setting a play. He was the play. He was able to get by his man, get into open shots, create for others. That's exactly what this Boston team has been lacking for a few years now. That off the bench guy, so Brown and Tatum could sit and rest. And once they got that rest, man, 35 apiece. That's what rest can do for these two stars. So I think the pickup of Brogdon was paramount for Boston's success this season. They were going to do it good already, but when it comes to postseason success, he's going to make a world of a difference. When legs get tired, man, palms get sweaty, Tatum and Brown have been playing lots of games. They usually don't miss too many games, especially on Tatum's part, so... It's going to be a good sign when you have Brogdon off the bench leading that second unit. Going back to the points with Brown and Tatum, I mean, my my MVP pick looking pretty get, pretty damn good right now. If you, I do say so myself. I mean, Tatum 35 and 12, 13 and 20 from the field. He was just getting whatever he wanted out there. He's getting a lot of isolations on the wing, post turnaround, fadeaways. Wonderful pull-ups. Like, his offensive arsenal is on full display today. Same thing with Jalen Brown getting out in transition, scoring in the paint, the mid-range area. These guys look like they are hungry. They understand what they have to do to get back to the finals now that they did it last year. They want to win. They're men on the mission. I see no slowing down. I want to see improvement. Um, the, the playmaking, especially from Tatum, he only had four assists. Um, but, again... Looking improved, he wasn't just tunnel vision going to the basket and trying to score. No, he was actively looking for his teammates. I think that's a very good sign of things to come, showing the improvement, showing the growth that Tatum has made. Brown, too, can have those same type of moments where he can get a little bit tunnel vision, especially last year in the finals. He would do that, get clawed up in the lane, turn over the ball. For this team to be as successful as they want to be, they're going to have to make those skip passes out of the paint, especially when Tatum or Brown has the ball. And they're the only ones, they're the only one of the Jays on the court. The defense is going to hone in on them. They have to be able to get to the paint, make that extra read, extra skip pass to the corner. And the Celtics players are going to have to knock those threes down. One last thing on the Celtics, Grant Williams, he needs to be the number one priority come this offseason. He's not good at his rookie accession. 15 points, great shooting, great defense on Joel Embiid. Um, he's Grant Williams, man. Celtics' favorite. I don't want him to go. That's all I got on the Boston side. Let's get more specifically into Philadelphia 76ers. Like I said before, James Harden looking in top MVP caliber form. He had a few plays where it's like, oh, okay. This is this is James. This is 2018 James Harden, where he could go off for a triple-double any night. He had a mean step back against Marcus Smart. Sent him flying to, from the three-point line to the baseline. That was disgusting. I'm sorry, Marcus, but that, that was bad. That was bad. The only thing that saved him kind of was James bricked the shot. It barely grazed the rim, but... And again, um, in the second half, he had a isolation move with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum touched earth. That was that was bad again. 
Harden also misses that shot. So if he hits those threes, man, that could change the game. That would be a game changer because he would have his, his teammates rallied, hype, all that. Those would have been two, six extra points on the board. Game would have been a little bit closer down the stretch, and maybe I mean the Sixers would have had a fighting chance. But in the fourth quarter, it seemed like everything was going the way for the Celtics. Everybody was hitting shots, getting wide open shots. Defensively, they were on another level. Philly's transition defense last year, they were 28th. And it's looking like that's going to be a problem again this year. They were giving up way too many points in transition, whether it be off the turnover, not getting back, or solely off a rebound and just pushing. Boston's pace has drastically improved from this last season to this season. Maybe that's a product of having Malcolm Brogdon. Maybe it's just the starters just like, all right, we can run. Jalen Brown especially likes to get out in transition, get easy buckets on a break. He's athletic. He's a super freak. He'll fly, jump out the gym, do what he has to do to get buckets. Same with Tatum. Got to and one down the stretch to solidify the game. These are big moments, big plays by the Celtics' two stars, and they're going to need it. They're going to need the transition points, especially once you get to the creme de la creme, the best of the league in playoff time. The points are going to be hard to come by, so if you can get these steals, these transition points, it's going to really help you creep out of closer games down the stretch in the conference finals and NBA finals. I think that Philadelphia has legit depth on this team. I mean, you look at the guys, um, Montrez Harrell, DeAnthony Melton, yeah, um, Niang, George Niang, and you still got guys like Tyrese Maxey, P.J. Tucker, Embiid, Thibel, Tobias Harris, Harden. They have like legitimate depth, veteran depth, and I think that's going to come to play postseason time. I one of the best benches they've had in a while in Philadelphia, at least in the Joel Embiid era. That's going to come to play postseason time. I think they still have to work on a few things, turnovers for sure, getting back on defense. Offensively, they'll be just fine. Tobias Harris was on fire in the first half, cooled down second half, opposite of Maxi. Maxi was slow to start hot in the second half. They can find a balance with that. That would be great. I suspect Tyrese Maxey could easily average 20 points per game, around five assists. If Harris is the fourth option on the team, giving you, what, 15, 16 on great shooting efficiency, going to have a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities. Philadelphia is going to be a scary team to see in the playoffs offensively. Because with Embiid averaging close to 30 per usual, I see Harden averaging 25 or so. Maybe 24 and 11, Maxi 20, and then Harris 15, or whatever else you get from the rest of the guys you get. But this seems going to be a, a threat in the East, no doubt about it. It's only game one of the season, and we both saw some pros and cons from both of the teams. But man, Boston's looking legitimate. Once they get Rob Williams back, they'll be even better. I'm very interested to see if they make any more trades to get more center depth. I think there's a trade to be made, especially now with Peyton Pritchard not being in the rotation. I think he's a piece that maybe you could send over in a trade with a pick or two to get that veteran center out there. I'm not sure who it is off the top of my head, but if you can get it, especially for these matchups later in the playoffs, where you got guys like Harden and B getting fouled at every turn. Giannis, um, Miami Heat, they can draw some fouls. It'll be needed, but that is all for my first instant reaction 
we got the Lakers and Warriors coming up now. The Warriors are in their ring ceremony or just finishing it up right about now. I think that the Warriors are going to handle the Lakers their first loss of the season. No shock there. I think the champions have retooled, reloaded. They're looking to repeat. The Lakers, they have something to prove. LeBron, age 20, year 20, not age 20, year 20 season. Anthony Davis coming off an injury. I'd like to see what he could do. See if he can regain his top five status in the league. Russell Westbrook redemption season. There's some interesting storylines going on there for sure. But we got a game to play. I will be back with my instant reaction of the Lakers and Warriors NBA opening night game. All right, back again for my instant reaction of Lakers and Warriors second game of the opening night in the NBA. This game was was bad for the Lakers in almost every sense of the word. It was pretty hard to watch at times because we all knew that the Lakers, they, they've been lacking shooting for, I think, outside of the bubble year. And even that bubble year, they didn't have the best shooters. Like, they weren't the deepest team in terms of that facet. They were more of a defensive team during that time. But you have to realize that in this modern NBA, man, unless you're, like, a stout defensive team like that Lakers championship team was, and you had two of the top five, I think it's pretty safe to say, top five players in LeBron James and Anthony Davis at the time, you're going to need shooting and a lot of it to really contend in the Western Conference. I tweeted during the game, I, I, I was looking at title odds, and I remembered the Lakers were like had the eighth highest title odds over teams like Memphis, Timberwolves, I think Dallas too. And I'm like, really? Really? After this game, I hope they change that immediately. I don't even need to see what Memphis is doing. Memphis is probably going to be a top three seed in the West again. Dallas has something to prove with Luka Doncic as an MVP runner, or candidate, a front runner for the award. Timberwolves as well with Rudy Gobert. All those teams, especially in the case of Dallas, has more shooting than Los Angeles Lakers. Memphis as well. And like just looking at the box score real quick, Anthony Davis, he was he was probably the, the highlight of the game for the Lakers. Him and Westbrook, I will say that. Davis, he had 27 points, six rebounds, four steals, a block. They were trying to get him the ball early, and I like that. They were trying to get Davis going because at times he can definitely float in and out of games. Like mentally, he'll check out. We've seen that before. And this is his season to really show that he's still a top 10 talent in the league. Which I think he is, but he has to show it. And I commend the Lakers, um, Darvin Ham and the coaching staff for really trying to get him going early. They got him post touches early. They got him isos in the mid post area. All that stuff was great, and I'm happy for him that he's getting to play actually. And he was over three from three point range. Um, when they won that bubble championship, his three point shooting was solid. They're gonna have to fix that with Westbrook. Although he was minus six for the game, Davis is minus 21, LeBron minus 10, and plus the minus spectrum. Um, Westbrook had 19 and 11, which, I mean, when you consider Westbrook, he's quote-unquote a, pat, a stat pattern. You're like, okay, whatever. But Westbrook was dictating pace for this Lakers team when they were going pretty slow otherwise. He would push in transition. He was getting to the rim. He was able to find teammates. He only ended up with three assists, but... That's just a lack of the lack of shooting on the roster. 
Westbrook was actually pretty, playing pretty damn good. 7-12 from the field, 1-3 of three from three-point range. If he can give you, what, 20 points from game 7-7, seven and seven, I'll take that. The problem with Westbrook, four turnovers. It's unacceptable. And a lot of turnovers are unforced errors. We all understand he can't really shoot it. He hit one three today. He airballed a corner three. That was pretty horrendous. But you take what you can get. They're big three, and LeBron had 31. Combined for 77 points. You'll take that from any big three on any, any given night. What it comes down to is your supporting cast, right? You can see, like, Beverly, the quote-unquote, I believe he was called the best shooter on the roster, at least percentage-wise, one for five from three. Lonnie Walker, 0 for three from three. Matt Ryan, their shooter, one of three. Juan Descano Anderson, 0 for three. Austin Reeves, 0 for two. Kendrick Nunn was their sole savior from three-point range. He shot three for six. He was actually looking pretty solid at times. I'm wondering if he'll get a starting position sooner or later just because he has the ability to space the floor as a three-point shooter. LeBron, three for ten. Despite LeBron averaging, well, it's not averaging, ending the game with 31, 14, and 8. Uh, he looked pretty old to start the game. He had a very slow start. He, I think he started like 0 for 5 from three-point range. He was getting to the paint, but he wasn't finishing. He wasn't able to go strong through contact like he used to. He wasn't getting all the foul calls early. I think this game in general was just kind of poorly officiated. They were letting these guys play playing through a lot of the fouls, playing through contact. I like how they set the tone early, and they kept going that way throughout the entire game. There are some times where LeBron went up, he got fouled, no no whistle. But on the other end, Steph, same situation, he got fouled, no whistle. I like how they set the tone early. Um, maybe LeBron would have had a bigger point total. He shot 4-4 from the free throw line, so that's a good sign, but... 3 for 10, man, that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it with LeBron. He definitely looked like this was his 20th season early on, despite him having pretty LeBron-like numbers. But, again, slow start, first game of the season. We've seen LeBron's body of work. We understand what he's capable of doing on any given night, even though he's 37 years old. We give him the benefit of the doubt. He'll probably average another 25, 8-8 and season. That's what he's capable of on any given night for his career. I have no doubts about LeBron, but Lakers have no shooting. That's what this game tells me. They have no shooting. Lakers are going to be a poor defensive team, it looks like. And we'll get into the Warriors. I understand how Golden State, they're one of the best teams, obviously the champions, coming into the night with a ring ceremony. And they have some of the best ball movement all of NBA history, rivaling like the Spurs. That's what we're talking about when we talk about ball movement in this iteration of Golden State. They like to move without the ball. Steph Curry especially. And I think it was like either second half or second quarter or third quarter when Golden State just started back cutting on almost every play. And they were open every play. I don't know if it's because the Lakers were overplaying. I know um, it was Austin Reeves, I believe, who was guarding Steph Curry for like three straight possessions. He would just get backdoored by Steph. And yes, they're overplaying the three. I get it, but you can't give Steph Curry that when you have Draymond or anybody really, not just Draymond Green. He was the recipient of a few assists against those type of backups. Ended the game with five assists. 
he was able to beat these players with the pass. And that's a beautiful thing about this Warriors offense. They know what each of the individual players are going to do. They know their tendencies. They know Steph loves to move out the ball. If they overplay him, he's going to cut back door. And it's going to be hard for any center to really protect that paint when you have Draymond Green at the five a lot of the time. If not, Kevon Looney, Draymond Green up top at the five. And you're going to have to guard him up there, not because he can shoot, but because of his playmaking ability. And even when he does shoot, he can still drive to the paint, kick out, wreak havoc with his IQ, with his playmaking ability. You cannot give the Golden State Warriors cutting lanes. That's exactly what the Lakers did for so many backdoor cuts. So many backdoor cuts. And it was just poor fundamental basketball from the Los Angeles Lakers. That's what we saw last night. Now let's get more into the Warriors. As we were just discussing before, backdoor cuts. Draymond, five assists. He had a typical Draymond Green stat line in 2022. Four points, five assists, five rebounds. Draymond. <laughs> um, Steph, he ended the game with 33 points. Started off a little slow shooting. Um, those backdoor cuts got him got him going. Um, ended the game four for 13 from three. 99 free throw line. Uh 33 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, 4 steals, and 1 block. Turnovers were another issue for the Lakers. They continuously turned over the ball throughout the entire night. And 21 on the evening. And Golden State, too, they had 18 turnovers from a team that defensively isn't as active as some of the other teams they will face, like a Boston Celtics or a Milwaukee, some of the teams in the East that likes to get physical. So that'll be something that they'll have to clean up. Clay Thompson, only 20 minutes, at 18 points. All Golden State fans probably rejoiced when they saw Clay coming into the game at half, and he just started firing away. He's getting back to form, and that's a scary sight for the rest of the league. I will say that. Andrew Wiggins, 20 points. Wiggins is the stabilizer for this team. I really believe that he is a guy that on any given night can give you 20 Five and five, play defense on the best defender, and a safety valve really, because there's a lot of times where this won't happen too often, just because the way that Golden State moves the ball and their offensive pieces with um, Curry and Clay on the floor, and Jordan Poole, which we'll get into in a moment. But Wiggins, he's a guy that can go create his own shot, just get to the mid range, pull up for a jumper. He's one of the dudes now that I think when he gets to the free throw line, it's automatic. He's at that point in his career where Chris Middleton, KD, Kyrie, Chris Paul, those type of dudes, Embiid as well, I'll put him in that list. When he gets to the free throw line extended, it's automatic for him whenever he's in the mid-range. And it really feels like that. When I see him, it's like, all right, one dribble, get to the paint, I'll get to the elbow, knock down. And he can get to the paint. He's still very athletic, very strong. That's what he was known for coming into the league. A great defender. A really good spot-up three-point shooter. He ended the game four for seven from three. He's going to get some open looks this year. And I'm not sure if he makes all-star game again this year. But, hey, if the Warriors are playing really good, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Jordan Poole, 4 for 15, 12 points, 2 for 9. He came in the game hot. He cooled off later. Um, we all know what Jordan Poole is. He's a six-man-of-the-year candidate every time he touches the floor. Spark plug. Um, James Wiseman, 
He had some impressive moments. Uh, he ended the game with 8.7 rebounds, a block. Very much a, a presence in the paint once Kevon Looney went, went out. Um, not for injury, just because, you know, rest, rotation situation. He's a guy that I can see a lot of potential for in the near future. Of course, this main iteration of Golden State with Seth, Clay, Dre, Loon, they're they're here to stay, but for only so long. The young guys, Kuminga in there with zero points, but he has a lot of potential, I think. And getting more minutes, more shots, he'll be just fine. Wiseman, more minutes, more shots, he'll be fine. Poole as sort of the de facto leader. Moody came in off the bench, hit a three. This Golden State team, man, one of the best futures in the league. They could potentially be contenders like how the Spurs were for at least two decades. Is what Golden State, they started their run in 2014, 2015. 2022, 2023, they're going to be contending at least for a full decade. And with the way that this team drafts, organization, they draft, they scout players, they get free agents that want to come play here. I have no doubt in my mind that if Poole can take the next step, if Wiseman can eventually take that next step to become the all-star, we think he could be as well as Kuminga, supplementary parts such as Moses Moody in there. Patrick Baldwin, who didn't play, but coming out of high school, he was a top recruit. We'll see what he becomes. Didn't have the best year at Milwaukee in college. This team can be legitimately scary for the next 7 to 10 years. And Seth Curry, wait, he's 34? Somewhere around that age range where he's supposed to decline. But with the way he's playing with his shooting ability, we understand that he'll probably have longevity into his 40s. Might not be the same dude that's dropping 33 and 6 and 7 every night, but he can, he'll can he be a mainstay in here unless he goes to play for Charlotte for one year just because we've heard he wanted to play in Charlotte. Just because, you know, it's his hometown. But Steph easily has at least four more years at the height of his powers. And if he can play into like 40-41, he'll still be a knockdown shooter on any team. That would love to have. Let's probably be Golden State. They'll probably be Golden State. And this organization is set up for the next few years. Man, Lakers, they got to get it together. The Warriors are on the right path. I only know I know it's one game. But when it comes down to it, Lakers need shooting. Warriors have a lot of shooting in abundance. The Warriors have cohesion. They have chemistry. And they have the players to make another championship run possible. They can easily repeat this here. And I mean easily. They have the horses. All they got to do is make it happen. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of the From Downtown Podcast. Make sure you guys like, share with family and friends. Follow if you aren't following already. Make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the Joseph. This was a fun episode. I really enjoyed the games. Celtics and Sixers more so, obviously, because the Celtics won. But more so, I think, for most of the stretch, it was a pretty close game until, like, the third quarter when the Celtics decided, all right, we're the East Conference champions for a reason. Let's let's turn it up a notch. And they started going crazy from three. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 35 points respectively. They're trying to show that they're one of the top duos in the NBA this season. 
they're looking to go back to the finals and avenge that loss in the finals. On the other side of the spectrum, the championships beat the Lakers. The champions beat the Lakers. It was pretty obvious that there's a talent disparity there, a lack of shooting on the Lakers side. LeBron, he finished the game with solid numbers, but he came out the gate slow. Westbrook played solid. Davis played solid, but they have no help. They have little to no shooting on the bench side of Kendrick Nunn and Matt Ryan, who only shot one for three. Golden State legit. We all knew that. But this game solidified that, all right, they're back. They're, they're still going to do Golden State-type things, and they aren't going nowhere for the foreseeable future. That's all I got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed. Next time on the From Downtown Podcast, we'll be talking about future games. I know the Mavericks and the Suns play. That'll be interesting, a rematch of the semifinals that Dallas ultimately won. Let's see what Phoenix does in that situation. I know the Knicks and Grizzlies play as well. Cover that. And whatever games that happen to be interesting, man, that's what we're going to do for the next uh, October, six months, up to eight months possibly with the NBA Finals. We're here, man. We're here. We're live and direct. And the From Downtown Podcast is going to bring you all things NBA. Until next time, guys, take care.